This is a drink with a friend. I'm Tish Oxenreiter. And I'm Seth Haynes. Seth, what are you drinking today? Well, Tish, I'm very boring today. Um, but I live, you know, in Arkansas, which is the Ozarks. And so today I'm drinking Ozarka water, <laughs> which incidentally is made in Texas. I was going to say that is not from actual Ozarks. It makes zero sense. How how do you have a Texas water named after the Ozarks? That's ridiculous. I I don't know. I don't know. Bottled water down. is kind of a conspiracy anyway, I think. It's not real. I, yeah, it probably comes from a tap. Probably 100% does. So so yeah. anyway, yeah, I'm, right. I'm super boring today. Just drinking water, trying to hydrate, keep my skin looking beautiful. <laughs> um, this is what my wife tells me we have to do when we enter our 40s. We have to evidently drink a lot of water and use eye cream. Is that mm, a thing? Probably. I don't do it yeah. as much as Amber does, I'm sure. But yeah. I don't use eye cream either. So <laughs> if the listeners could see me, they would know that. So anyway, uh, my eye care aside, Tish, what is it that you are drinking today? Um, This is going to be a recurring theme for the next probably four to six weeks. I am willing fall to arrive here in Texas by way of beverages. And so I'm drinking vanilla caramel chai tea which sounds better than it actually is. Like it sounds like it would be dessert like and it's really not. So basically it's tea with a little bit of stuff in it. Black tea with stuff. What, what's the stuff? I don't know. Let's see. Cinnamon natural flavors. <laughs> huh. Natural okay. flavors. Natural anyway. f- flavors. Do you have yeah. any line of sight on what those natural flavors are? No. Um the picture shows vanilla and cloves. That's probably it. Basically. I thought you were going to say something like the picture shows vanilla cloves and a deer or something. Oh, like a fox, like my other mm-hmm. kind of tea. Yeah. That's true. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, the listeners will get my tour day pretend fall tea for the next few weeks. So be prepared. All right. So we have a third person around our table this week, and we are joined by none other than then Aaron Luckner. Aaron was a co-host of mine on my other podcast, if you were a former listener, but she's been around the internet forever since the days of smoke signals and um, when we carve things on rocks. So Aaron, you probably already have quite the listener readership here amongst our people. Tell us what you are drinking Okay. Um, it's that, you know, that mushroom powder that you're supposed to put, have instead of coffee, but yep. it doesn't taste like, you can't t- call it coffee. It doesn't taste right. like coffee. I'm drinking that, but then I put in like a nut pod caramel creamer <laughs> with like an actual, like a frother. So I'm trying to trick myself into thinking that it's like a latte of some sort. It's not, it's, you know, it's like mushroom mm-hmm. water. Is it good? Cause when you no. say that, it doesn't sound good. No, it's not good. <laughs> It's not. Let's not pretend. No, I, yeah, I'm not even gonna. I'm not even going to endorse it. But I will just. It's it, it's already in my mug and it's hot and it. I'm mm-hmm. just gonna drink it anyway. You know what I love about our show? Compare. So I listen to another podcast where they have a cocktail with their chats and they're all in their 20s and they're always talking about like all the time they spent making it and and simple syruping things and adding little decor. And I just think it's funny that those of us who are in the messy middle, we just kind of drink stuff and it's not even good. Like, but we still drink it either because we're supposed to because it's healthy or just because we can't be bothered. I love uh-huh. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I made the effort of making it. So now I'm going to make the effort of drinking it. And that's, <laughs> that's it. I love it. 
I think there comes a point in your life too, and I think that point is definitely after your twenties, where you're just like, man, just give me something <laughs> to sip on. I ain't got time for all that. It's too much. It's too right. much. I don't have time to research cocktails for five hours <laughs> and to so mix funny. one for ten minutes. Give me an Ozarka bottle of water, man. <laughs> <laughs> we are classy with a K around here. Yeah. All right. So the reason we wanted you to join us, Aaron, was because of your fantastic piece that you wrote not that long ago, where you, I mean, you've had your blog forever, but you're kind of taking a different turn with it right now, where you're writing pieces just as they come to you. And I love that. So if you publish, it must be on your mind. That's what I think as someone who's read you for a long time. So this is clearly on your mind. Tell us a little bit more about what you were thinking with what you wrote. Well, thank you. Um, yes, I would say I publish about ninety or about ten percent of what I actually write in the morning. Uh, and just if I feel like it's going to be helpful, then I'll kind of hit publish. But usually a couple months after, because it you know it, it just it takes some time to to settle. What I am thinking about right now is uh, the effect of social media on kids. I'm not even talking screens on kids, really. I, I'm not talking about screen time. I mean, I'm not talking about like what it's doing to their brains. I'm sure all of those exist. I'm just talking about the amount of influence that is readily available in a kid's life that is actually shaping and changing their entire personality. That is what I'm, so I'm, I, I suppose it's more social media than tech. It's not the screen time debate that we're used to. It's just, Who's influencing your kids? Not only that, but who's influencing your kids through you, right? What voices are you listening to mm. that then's trickling through to your kids? Because our personalities have been a little bit more stagnant for longer. I don't want to say stagnant. We're always changing. We're always growing. But we're they're, they're so much more malleable. And so whatever is kind of influencing us in any given day is also influencing them. And I think that's worth thinking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What made you start thinking about this? Especially, I mean, you mentioned something that was really interesting there about the things that are influencing you that are influencing them. Like, how did you get to this line of thought? What was the thing that sort of kickstarted this in you? Other than this is just kind of a thing that you generally think about. I think, um, so my daughter turned nine this summer and we kept, th- my husband and I, um, he is heavily entrenched in the tech world um, through his job. And we had both just thought that we would kind of approach the, the whole cell phone issue with moderation, right? We would we would just see, well, honestly, we got the benefit of seeing everybody a couple years ahead of us and got to see what they did and then see what worked and what didn't work. And so we've kind of been watching that whole conversation with sort of second row seats. But what we didn't expect to be hit with it so early. Um, mm-hmm. We live in a sweet little neighborhood and um, there are 12-year-olds, 11-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 7-year-olds with phones with access to social media. It seems like the general consensus of the parent is that, well, we allow them one account so they can kind of get their bearings, so they can learn what's appropriate. We can teach along with them. We can. It, it's not as if these it's not like we're just throwing our kids to the wolves and saying, here you go, right? I think it's all being done in very, um, what we would think is a smart way to sort of introduce a new thing as a tool, right? Like you don't give them the chainsaw, you teach them how to use it. And yet those same kids I've watched, I've 
kind of watched them disappear a little Mm -hmm. bit. I know that sounds dramatic, but I really feel like I can say I have watched the girls, especially I've watched them disappear. So for us, you know, we just decided earlier this summer, we're not doing, we're just not going to do it. We're not, they're not going to have cell phones at all. Um, We got it. We're getting a house phone, (laughs) you know, like in the wall. Um, And our new goal is really to be more engaging than the algorithm because we recognize the algorithm wants their attention, um, that the algorithm is very much directed toward outrage, right? You're rewarded for being angry. Um, You're rewarded for controversy. We just didn't really, I I don't want, I don't want that level of um, influence shaping my kid, knowing that the people she's coming into contact are going to be shaping them anyway. And the internet is shaping them. So it's that Mm -hmm. whole like trickle down effect, but yeah, that's kind of where we're at. We just, I think, I think we just drew a hard line this summer and decided we're just not doing it at all. We're not going to, we're not going to mess. Well, and what I find interesting about the argument some parents make, and this is not to throw anyone under the bus, if you've made this argument before, um, with let's give them the tool so that they know eventually how to use a chainsaw is that if you've watched a toddler with an iPad, you know, it takes them like a minute to figure it out. Like there's not a necessary onboarding time to learn how to quote, use it. And so for me, it almost feels like, I mean, only I, I can only say this because I've been there and I've made this mistake. We're making an excuse. It's mm-hmm. easier to say yes than it is to say no, because what you're saying to your kid is we're going to be different. You know, we oxen riders are going to choose a different way of life and it can come across as judgmental. It can come across as holier than thou and it can come across as a little bit um naive, perhaps, like this isn't how the world works. And so you're handcuffing your kids from some necessary fill in the blank social interaction or technology awareness or something, you know? Yes. Yes. And I think that's when we've had to then, um, I've never been really very pro social media. I'm not on social media as a person currently. Uh, but but I do feel like just from the conversations we've had with parents who are in it, right, who who took that sort of perspective that we are going to be training our kids. And now, you know, four or five years down the road, they're exhausted and it's so much to manage and it's out of their control. And it's it's a full time job just to keep up with everything with every kid that's on social media. What are they posting? What are they saying? Who are they listening to? Who are they following? Can we recheck those, all those parameters that we have in place? And it is kind of a full-time job. So there is a part of me that was like, I don't want to spend my time managing my child's time. I want to connect with them instead of um, sort of lord over who they're connected to. I don't know. Mm -hmm. What you're saying is you didn't want to be a social media manager. (laughs) I did not want to be a social media manager. (laughs) For your children. For my children. I I mean, so, you know, in the Haynes house, we have some pretty clear parameters too. I mean, I think we've talked about that, but we don't, we don't take uh, a no holds barred, you know, strict approach to social media. Um, Our kids do Instagram. Two of them do. One of them abhors social media, doesn't want to be on it. Doesn't want to be his, doesn't want anyone to take a photo of him to put on it. Never wants to be on it. um, Thinks it destroys his intellectual capacity. I mean, it's, it's that kid already, you know, at 13 years old or whatever, but 
Uh, two of our others uh, do, and they use it for things that they're passionate about for fishing, for music or whatever. Um, and it was fine at first, but I mean, I think we've noticed some of the same things. It's not, and it's not that their personality disappears. And these are boys, so it's a little bit different maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but they can disappear into their phones into memes on Instagram, the only platform we really allow them to be on. And the other day we had this conversation in the house about, Hey dad, why, you know, why don't you let me get on Snapchat? Because this is how my friends communicate these days. And, um, and I asked him, I'm like, can you guys not just text, you know, can you not just Mm -hmm. use your phones to text? Um, and what's exhausting about it to me is that they're using all of these different platforms to communicate in various and different ways and I don't have the time to keep up with it, um, you know, much like you said. And and I do have real questions about the psychological effects of mm-hmm. uh, of all of these platforms, particularly just the context switching of communicating with some people on this uh, channel platform and this platform and some on text and some on, you know, whatever. Um, just the context switching alone isn't healthy for their brains. And that has nothing to do with the addictive properties of the platforms. Yeah. Especially if you consider their brains are still forming and how it feels for our adult brains. If it exhausts us, I can't even imagine what it feels like for their growing brains. Aaron, your oldest as nine years old, has there been pushback about not getting a phone from her? You know what? Not at all. Um, She is involved in an extracurricular, uh, we homeschool, but she uh, is in like a heavy duty, like theater troupe situation. And um, we have a very open door policy in our house. And just being exposed to different kids, she will kind of notice ones who are on their phone more tend to either not like you in the eye when you're talking to them or to be a little distracted or to want to get back to their phone. They kind of they'll like pop in for a couple of minutes and then like leave, like leave mm-hmm. um, and then go like be on their phone for a couple more hours. And it's just, um, and this, these are like young kids, right? Or um, I think, I think something she noticed, this was sort of interesting. Um, they're very, I think there's a correlation between kind of, there's an outcome that, that kids are seeking through, when, when they are kind of more engaged on social media, it's like, you're looking for a specific outcome. You don't know what it is. So their, their level of play has been very surface. Cause play is all like outcome free life, right? Like you're just, you're just kind of in it. You're doing whatever. There's no goal. Um, there seems to be a, I don't know, this is just what we've witnessed in our own small corner of the world, but there does seem to be a correlation to like not wanting to play, uh, because there's something waiting for them that might be a little bit better or easier or mm-hmm. uh, makes you feel a whole slew of things in a shorter amount of time. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I think what you're probably talking about is the dopamine hit that okay. is programmed into our phones and even more so in social media um, for us to feel a certain way. And it keeps us scrolling. It keeps someone you know, not being, it almost feels like you can't close out the app. And what I have found in my experience as a high school teacher and a parent of high schoolers um, is there's this almost, there is an addictive nature to the dopamine where it feels like a facsimile of that in-person socialization, but it's not, it's not the same thing. 
Whereas, and I think I've read the science behind this, like in-person, face-to-face socialization does something to our brains and it gives us that serotonin, which is longer lasting, whereas, um, but it doesn't have that immediate spike. Whereas the dopamine hit from a screen gives us that spike, but it drops off. It's almost like sugar. Um, And so it's this fake feeling of energy or happiness. And we need it more and more and more. And so it becomes this thing where like the real thing doesn't quote feel as good as the screen version. Mm-hmm. And so we're training ourselves to prefer, you know, cotton candy over broccoli um, yes. almost accidentally. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's interesting that the kid, um, so we had, we hosted a couple teens this, like throughout the course of the year um, who just, I think once things started to open up, they just needed kind of a breather, like a mental health break. And so their parents flew them to us and um, we just had them stay and said, Hey, we have a baby you can hold. It'll be fun. But <laughs> they, their the response was overwhelming and that they, they would sort of just linger in the kitchen. Like they wanted, and, and we said, we were like, Hey, just FYI, we're not like a phone family. So uh, like obviously check in with your parents. You can FaceTime like at night. That's totally fine, whatever. But um, just keep your phone like away. Just put it away and like, let's just go do whatever you want to do. Like we are yours. We're available, whatever. And um, at the end of the week, they would say like, it was, I didn't even want to be on my phone because nobody else was on it. I didn't see anybody else on it. So I didn't think I was missing anything. There was, you know, plenty happening here. And I think that was sort of, that was interesting for my daughter to hear. For sure. And I think she saw the benefit of, oh, okay, like you you don't have to live like this. Not everybody has to be glued to their phone, even though that is sort of, I think, the norm. Uh, and that's that's not fair to say. I know a lot of families that are incredible and engaged and intentional with their time. Um, but I do think that was helpful for her to see in sort of forming how much pushback. Uh, and we've already told her it's going to be a hard no, like, we will do literally probably everything else. <laughs> we bought a camper. We'll go travel the, the country, like whatever. We are willing to, and it's hard, you know, it's a big time commitment, but we are willing to do pretty much anything else um, within reason. Mm-hmm. But that was that was good for her to see. And I think a lot of teens are perhaps feeling that way and that they do want they do want the boundary. They maybe do want their their parents to throw the phone out the window for a little bit and maybe get back to something else. Hmm. Yeah, Seth. I think it's interesting. One of your kids has that already in them because I have one like that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just sees no value in it. I mean, it, his and and I think this is kind of something I want to touch on, Aaron. Um, you know, he looks at sort of what happens on the internet, and I think he's wise enough at thirteen even to see sort of the the influencer network and to say like this is this feels fake. It doesn't feel real. And um and and you know in in some ways um you know, you are, you make a career of being on the internet, right? I mean, like in some ways you, you very much influence people. And it's interesting to me. Um, and I picked up notes of this in your last piece, like there are trade-offs with mm-hmm. your career and not being on social media with your career and not being on the phone. Um, and I'd love for you to talk about that a little bit, because it seems to me, it seemed to me through reading that, that the piece that we'll link in the show notes, they're like sort of this path that you're carving out for your kid um, comes from a personal conviction that you've actually put into action um, that requires some real personal sacrifice. Yeah, you're right. You're exactly right. So talk to um, me about that. 
Well, I think um, kind of at the peak of the at the influencing world, um, I. I sort of saw the dissolution, you know, it, it began, whereas you were writing whatever you wanted to write and a brand would say, can I kind of put my logo on that? And then it got more into, uh, okay, write whatever you want to write, but it needs to be within this topic. Mm-hmm. And then it became write whatever you want to write, but you need to use all of these brand messaging terms. And then it became write whatever you want to write, but you need to photograph your kid from the face from like, you know, and I've never shown pictures of my, our kids on the internet. Um, and it just became this thing that I was like, I, I can no longer, I, a, I, I won't compromise in this, in this area, but it yeah. just became harder and harder to, um, t- just to kind of grasp where this was headed. Um, and I kind of just was like, all right, I'm, I'm out. I'm not even going to try to. I, I I think the writing is on the wall here, and and this cannot can no longer come from an, an authentic place. I think I used to believe that influencing could be used for good mm. um, in the traditional sense. I'm sure it can. I just haven't witnessed that firsthand with the level of control that the brand requires, which is fair. They're paying you, you know. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's whatever. So um, I did bow out of that and absolutely everything takes a hit there. You know, um, I, I decided I'm not going to be focused on growing social media. I'd rather focus. I, I can't, I couldn't do both. Honestly, I couldn't grow yeah. social media and create quality writing. Um, it felt like I was using two different voices. You know, one was a little more fragmented. One was kind of deeper, richer. I felt like it wasn't really, the mediums didn't translate. So, yeah. um, yeah, I just decided I'm going to just keep my blog. I'm going to write whenever I want to. I still really love the people that comment and that email me. And we, we, I have slept on their couches, you know, like we have, we have like back in the day, they're, they're like the originals with me. And so it, um, I think it just became something that I decided to walk away from. And, you know, you can't really measure what you have lost from that. Um, but also I can measure what I've gained. Yeah. Yeah. What have you gained? Uh, Peace for one. Mm. I don't feel frazzled. I don't feel like there's something I need to check on. I don't feel like uh, I need to, I I, I don't take pictures on my phone anymore. Um, We don't, I I just don't have my phone on. Mm -hmm. I I don't feel like I, I don't feel like I have a boss. (laughs) I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't feel like that. I just, you know, it's, it's, and again, part of that is just the expectation I've set where it's, I'm going to write what I want to when I want to. Um, mm-hmm. But I think there is a lie somewhere that says when we do step away from the norm, as I would call us all content creators, whatever you want, you know, we are, we are making things and we're putting them out. Uh, there's, I think, a belief that we have to do it a certain way. And I think, I think both of you guys are a testament that you don't yeah. have to do it a certain way, but also you don't need social media to do it at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's exactly what Seth and I just recently talked about. And that's, I think I'm hoping some people are realizing more and more. I'm having to remind myself all the time. Erin, um, I think it's interesting. You talked about how like you just don't have your phone on you and you don't feel like you have a boss um, to kind of tie in the idea of parenting with, um, 
the idea that we model for our kids so much more than we realize. Uh, we recently had this rule in our family where we created a device drawer where we used to have like a device just station where people would just put phones for charging and it was out in the kitchen. So public spaces, but people were still compulsively just like quickly checking probably without even noticing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, We've recently just switched this to the drawer that was below that counter. We cleaned it out. Kyle built a power strip in the drawer where it's got like a whole charging station inside. And the only difference is there's a door to it now. So you, it's like just a little bit of added friction where you have to open it up to check things. And I have been surprised at my own self, how much less I check my phone because Mm -hmm. it's literally not on me. Like there are days when it's just in there all day long and I don't check it. And so just an encouragement to those of us who feel a bit overwhelmed by the idea of, of this, that, so much of what we can do as parents is just model what it looks like to live a less tethered life, you know? Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My friend keeps her um, phone in the, all all the family phones in the dryer. (laughs) Because (laughs) it's like, Hey, if you want to go in there, then you're going to notice there's a load that needs folded. So (laughs) have at it. Oh, that's that funny. is incredible. That's an incredible idea. I'm going to start putting mine in the dishwasher then for that exact <laughs> same reason. Their right. dishes need to go in there, kids. Yeah. That's, that's oh, a good man. idea. That's awesome. That's funny. Yeah. No, I, I think one of the things that was really enlightening to me, I think we, we've talked about this in the last episode, when I finally broke down and read Newport's Digital Minimalism, finally, it struck me that here's a guy who's creating amazing things who is not on social media. He's He's not there. And yet somehow he still has fans, yet somehow he still has people reading what he's writing, yet somehow um, he still manages to get published. And I know that's not the norm. Like, I get that. Um, But to your point about having a boss, every time I get on social media, I do feel like there is a almost like a social boss. Like, I know um, that I can post certain things and immediately get traction. Mm-hmm. I know that I can spin people up. I can spool people up. I'm not stupid. I know how to manipulate people. Um, <laughs> I know how to use outrage. We all do. Everyone here does. Um, and and I want to go back to your previous comment about fragmentation in your voice, in your writing voice. I think it's super important when you you said when you were when you were writing for the brands, you felt more fragmented. And I don't think it was because you know you had a boss, right? Like we all have jobs. Sometimes you have to have a boss. Um, but it's because you have somebody dictating your value system. Um, oh. take, take your photos from kids from, of your kids from this angle or write about this or use these phrases. That's something very unique. That's co-opting, um, your personality and saying like, I need you to be more like this. I need you to act more like this. And that's how I feel when I get on, on social media. I feel like when I'm on Twitter, uh, when I'm on Facebook, which is rarely, um, less so for me for Instagram, but there's a whole different conversation around that that Tish and I've been having. But um, I feel like the medium dictates that I act a certain way. Yeah. And I think I think that that is innately problematic. And I'd love to hear like when you were on social media, did you feel that tension and that pull? Um, and now that you're off it. I mean, is that sort of a piece of the, the, the piece that you've been feeling? That's a good question. Um, I think you kind of become who people expect you to be. Uh, I mean, 
I think it's very interesting that we are now able to hire people to manage our social media because we are so darn predictable that they know what we're going to say anyway. Um, And I don't think that means that we have become surface people. I just think that means we are showing our surface side in that format and that platform because it's what it calls for. But I think there's so much depth in us. And you, you know, once you stop bringing that forth, it takes a little bit to get it back. It really Mm -hmm. does. So I, I think for me, I've become maybe fuller, just maybe I'm, I'm a little less concerned about uh, how I, I'm actually, I would say I'm less concerned about myself in general. I don't find myself thinking about myself when I'm having a conversation with somebody else. Mm-hmm. I don't find myself wondering what do they think of me or uh, am I saying the right thing or am I saying the thing that matches what they think I'm going to say? It's really. I have a lot of questions for you. Tell me everything about you. I want to get to know you. And it it feels more, you just feel more outward focused. It's the same thing as like, I don't know if you guys did that weird experiment in the nineties where you stopped looking in a mirror for 30 days. Did you guys do that? I think no, I I've never even heard of that. I oh forgot my gosh. about that. Yeah. You know what? It's kind of life changing, but I think I read it in like Cosmo or something, whatever <laughs> the teen thing was at the time. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it feels like that you were, you were just, you forget it's not that you forget that you exist you still have opinions you still have thoughts but they don't matter as much they're not constantly on the background like what do i need to say about this situation or what's i don't know i don't know well and they're less reactive it's more, they're yeah. more contemplative perhaps because you're not formulating exactly what you feel or think about something right away right yeah mm-hmm. there's no strategy right it's just you're a person you're a person <laughs> Yeah. And I think too, it sounds like that, that with the mirror, I mean, I think this is a great analogy. It pulls you out of sort of that narcissistic bent to always care about mm-hmm. the self first. Um, and I think it's the same way with social media. I mean, when you're off of it, you, you, as you're saying, like you don't have to consider every damn thing about yourself. Um, mm-hmm. and it's not about promoting everything about yourself. Um, and there's the testament to your kids, I think. You know, there's the testament to your nine-year-old or your 10-year-old or my 15-year-old um, mm-hmm. is to say like, hey, there's another way. We don't have to constantly be churning up content that points back to ourselves. That's right. Yes. Yes. Right. Um, I don't know if y'all have read The TechWise Family, but he talks about, oh, Aaron, I think you would really like it. Um, Andy Crouch talks about this idea of easy everywhere, that what our phones have done for us is created easy everywhere, which sounds good, right? It sounds like it would be something we would want. But the problem with easy everywhere is that we lose our grit. We lose our ability to to understand the value of something because we don't have to work for it anymore. Sort of like a microwave. Like we're, we're not as aware of the work it takes to bake a cake from scratch when we can just zap something in the microwave. It's not always bad. It's just not the full, you know, thing. And so what I keep thinking about with going more screen-free is this idea of, Um, when I go screen free, it's not because it's easier. It's actually harder. Like I'm not trading one easy thing for another easy thing. I'm trading the easier thing for the harder thing. But what am I willing, what inconvenience am I willing to trade for a more beautiful life? is is my overall thing. We put this, we um printed out this idea um in our bookshelves in the living room. And we said, uh, I'll read it. It says easy everywhere gets us nowhere. And it's payment is a beautiful life. 
how we oxen riders aren't going to forfeit our beautiful life. And we have these three rules, which is screen-based schoolwork is done at the dining table or island. So um, when they have to write a paper or when they have to watch a YouTube video or when their class is online. And anyway, it's done in the middle of the house. Number two, no screens in bedrooms, no exceptions. Like, zero exceptions. Like, I don't care if it's, you know, you're just listening to music, just no exceptions. It has to be out. And then three phones live and stay in the device drawer. And to me, this little sign, um, I have to remember that it's for the more beautiful life. Because when you're in the midst of it, when you've got these neighbor kids who are sweet and mean well, but you start kind of questioning your sanity, like, am I overdoing it here? Am I being ridiculous? You need the reminder. We need the reminder that this is for added beauty in our life. It's not to micromanage our kids' lives. It's because we we don't want this for them. We know that there is something better, and therefore, we should want it for ourselves, too, if we want it for our kids. Oh, I love that. I love those rules. And I think of um, just earlier this summer – my daughter had seen something weird by the pond. It was like, a, she's like, it's like a newt, but it's got scales. It's long, it's slimy, whatever. It's black. I can't figure it out. Never seen it before. She was sure she like found a dinosaur. And I watched my uh, mother-in-law, who's the loveliest person ever. She starts, you know, Google image searching to try to match her description. And I'm like, let's hold off for a second. And you know what we could do is we could take a walk to the other side of the pond because the science teacher lives over there. And he is at the pond all the time. And he's lived here for 30 years. And he knows that pond. He's always fishing. He's got it. He'll figure it out. We'll, we'll find it. And so we uh, walked over there. He wasn't there. So we called him. And um, he's out on the golf course. And he's like, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about. That was a muskrat. And you know what the scaly thing on the end was? And then he goes into this whole thing about muskrat habitats. Then he invites her over later to watch. Um, he's like, there's a baby there. It's in, I know where the nest is. You want to go see it? Um, and then it's, we have this whole family adventure surrounding this thing that would have mm-hmm. been a 30-second Google search and we would have figured it out. But I think we discount the surprise element there. I think that dopamine mean hit that you were talking about our kids still want to be surprised and delighted and they think they're going to get that when they're on when they're scrolling or whatever but if you're doing a simple search you know you're going to find the answer you know you know you know it's somewhere there it exists and there's something to that whole like we might not know the answer here we might not figure this out and that's kind of cool i mean that's a really cool feeling mhm it's the mystery of life yeah. And I think we want mystery. I think humans want mystery. I, I mean, I love mystery. It's why I read novels. I, I love the unknown. I love the unexpected. I love a good mm-hmm. mystery. And it feels like we've sapped the mystery uh, from life. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And And what a great thing to teach our kids that connection is worth working for. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, easier everywhere. Sure. But um also hard in person, you know, it's, it's, it's worth, it's worth working at. Yeah, it is. And I think that's what your piece hits home, you know, and that's what you did so great at the, the idea of capturing wonder and keeping wonder as long as we can in our kids. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For us and for them and we all need it. Yeah. Well, that is a great segue to how we like to wrap up our chats, which is talking about something in our lives that's adding more truth, goodness, or beauty to our everyday. So Erin, since you're our special guest, why don't you start us off with something that is doing just that for you? I would love to. I am reading a wonderful book called The Sober Lush. Mm -hmm. It is um, Amanda Air Award and 
I want to say Hardeen LeBaire okay. is the, I have a hard time pronouncing people's names, um, but gorgeous writing, lovely concept. It, I, five stars all the way. I love it so much. I haven't even finished it. You know, when you get to the end, you're like, I don't really want it to end. So I'm kind of savoring it like, you know, dark chocolate or whatever, but it's yeah, what is it's that, wonderful. Is it a novel? It's uh nope. It's kind of, it's just sort of a pushback on the idea that if you become sober, you can't have fun anymore. So it sort of extrapolates all of these really beautiful things that you can do that don't involve alcohol. And it's mm. fantastic. Sounds right up, Seth's alley. 100%. 100%. I need to grab it. You're like the third person to mention that in the last probably month or so. So, Seth, you're going to love it. I'm going to grab it. I'm going to do it. That's cool. All right, Seth, what about you? So I, um, I've been sitting in my office. Um, as you know, I, I kind of sometimes practice law by trade. It's sort of my thing. <laughs> and uh, we had a student up here and he was noticing all the books in my office. And I have a variety of things in my office because I'm reminded all the time that good writing, whether it's legal writing or book writing or whatever, starts by reading good writing. Like you don't get to write well if you don't read well. And um, so I keep a copy of East of Eden up here. Sometimes I like to read uh, the opening chapter because if you can read the first two or three pages and not get chill bumps of East of Eden, then you're a robot mm-hmm. or a mathematician. And I have no use for either <laughs> of those things. Um, but, you know, I'd never read sort of the introduction, uh, by the way, sorry to all the mathematicians listening. Um, I never read the dedication to East of Eden. But it's really beautiful, and so I want to read it. Um, and it, it brought a lot of beauty to my life, and it I think it encapsulates like what we want to do as writers. Hmm. I mean, it says, Dear Pat, you came upon me carving some kind of little figure out of wood, and you said, why don't you make something for me? I asked you what you wanted, and you said, a box. What for? To put things in. What things? Whatever you had, you said. Well, here's your box. Nearly everything I have is in it, and it is not full. Pain and excitement are in it, and feeling good or bad, and evil thoughts and good thoughts, the pleasure of design and some despair, and the indescribable joy of creation. And on top of these are all the gratitude and love I have for you, and still the box is not full. John. Hmm. He is so good. And I just, I read that and I thought of the friends that I have that are like that, that create boxes for me, the Mm. people that I get to create boxes for. Um, And it was just a really inspirational moment this week. That's very cool. I feel like John Steinbeck could almost be like the patron saint of this podcast if we had one. Um, I think that's probably fair. Yeah, it is fair. Maybe we should canonize him in a very non-official way. (laughs) Can we do that? I don't think we can do that yet. (laughs) I think we can just decide whatever we want. Yeah, that's how it works. Canonization. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's how we always, yeah. that's how we used to do it. So that's fine. Yeah. Whatever. Um, okay, Tish, what is it that you are reading, writing, listening to, watching that is bringing more truth, beauty, or goodness to your life? Well, it's a little bit of a departure from what I normally mention, but I recently heard about this website and therefore podcast called The Monk Debates. Have either of y'all heard of this? M-U-N-K. No. Okay. So all this is, is formal debates that you can listen to. Um, And when I say formal debates, I mean, legit, like debate club debates, like every episode says, be it resolved, and then whatever the topic is. 
this normally does not sound something like something that would add more beauty to one's life, but here's why it is adding beauty to my life. Because, because as you well know, uh, social media, as we talked about, is largely a dumpster fire, right? In terms mm-hmm. of how we talk to each other. It is a breath of fresh air to listen to two well-thinking adults disagree cordially and have good conversations, oh. pause when they're thinking, accept when they're wrong, give um, credit to the other side when they make a stellar argument and walk away still disagreeing and clearly not hating each other. Mm. (laughs) And I feel like that is a very low bar we have these days. But these monk debates, I genuinely learn stuff. Like I listened to one this morning that was, be it resolved, billionaire philanthropy is bad for society. And Mm. I was like, oh, I learned something from both sides and why this is a complicated issue. So it's really broad. It's just big ideas is really their theme. And it's smart thinkers. Um, But I really appreciate it. And I listen, I've listened to these quite a bit now instead of just, I don't know, dumb podcasts or honestly, you know, this is the opposite of the opposite of um, talk news, you know, Mm. or just pundit just armchairing where people just have an idea and immediately assume the worst about the other side and just throw insults at each other. This is the opposite of that. And so it's really refreshing. Mm. Oh, I love that. Okay. What's it called again? It's called monk debates, not monk debates, not monastery monks, monk, like some guy's last name, M U N K. So monk debates, M O N K. That's a very different thing. That's probably entirely different. Just I mean, to just <laughs> listen to the monks go after each other is in Latin. It's just nothing that's, makes you more happy. Mm-hmm. Those fiery folks. That's right. <laughs> all right. So, guys, it's time to wrap this up. You can find this episode as well as all episodes at a drinkwithafriend.com. And if you like the show and what we're doing here, you can help keep it going by picking up the next round of drinks. You can do that at the link at a drinkwithafriend.com or in the show notes of this episode. And thank you so very much in advance. Uh, you can find me at tishoxenwriter.com. I'm mostly at my newsletter these days. Erin. Where can people find you mostly? Designformankind.com. Very cool. All right, Seth, how about you? SethHaines.com. All right. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. Editing is by Kyle Oxenreiter. I'm Tish Oxenreiter with Seth Haynes and special guest Aaron Lochner. And we will be back here with you soon. Thanks for listening. And thank you, Aaron, for joining us. It was a lot of fun. Thank you.